Welcome to the podcast, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We chat with authors and storytellers in thought-provoking and intimate interviews, all with a Jewish twist. On today's program, I'm delighted to welcome our guest, Martha Gershon, author of Kidney to Share, which she wrote with John DeLantos, MD. We'll be joined in the interview by my husband, Stuart Ain, a veteran journalist who received a kidney transplant from an altruistic donor earlier this year. In 2018, Martha Gershon donated a kidney at the Mayo Clinic to a woman she read about in a local Jewish newspaper. She co-authored a book, Kidney to Share, published by Cornell University Press in May 2021 about that experience. She was named special advisor to the Kidney Transplant Collaborative and serves on the regional board of the National Kidney Foundation. She retired as executive director of Jackson County Court-Appointed Special Advocates in 2017. Martha lives in Fairway, Kansas with her husband, Don Goldman, who is executive director and CEO of Jewish Family Services of Greater Kansas City. So welcome, Martha, and Stuart, too. Thank you. So um, to begin, Martha, let me ask you, um, how how is your health now, four years after you donated your kidney? Well, that's the first question people always ask, and I am delighted to report that my health continues to be really excellent. Yesterday was the fourth anniversary of our kidney transplant experience, wow. and I actually had my annual physical yesterday. Mm-hmm. And my uh, primary care physician, who has a background in nephrology, looked at my numbers and he said, you're better than most people with two kidneys. <laughs> That's amazing. That's great. So so why don't you give us a brief summary of your book, Kidney to Share, for those who haven't read it yet. Kidney to Share describes my experience as an altruistic kidney donor, donating a kidney to someone who I didn't know before the process began. And it outlines how deeply meaningful, how inspiring, how important that experience was for me. But it also outlines some of the frustrations, the bureaucratic barriers, some of the financial hurdles that I encountered along the way. I had always understood that uh, you know there, there would be some sacrifice in giving up an organ, but it turns out it's really quite hard to do. There are a lot of uh, bureaucratic uh, things in the way. And because I have a background in business and in customer service, I wanted to highlight those and encourage the system to do a little better. So the book is really two things. It's about a medical miracle and it's about ways that we could do better from a process perspective. So so did is that what motivated you uh, to write the book? Yes. Um, my, my One of my closest girlfriends, my college roommate, who is a very successful pediatrician and author, um, was on the phone with me not long after the experience and I was kvetching. You know, this was hard and that cost money and this was difficult. 
And she finally said, Martha, stop complaining, write a book. Okay. <laughs> well, how, how does it feel knowing that you saved a life? It is such an extraordinary feeling. And, and Stuart, I don't know if, if this has been your experience when, when you talk to the woman um, who donated to you, but it reminds me a little bit of the way I first felt when I found out I was pregnant or when they first put my child in my arms, mm -hmm. that something exists in the world because of you. And we don't get very many opportunities for that. Well, you know, your co-author there, uh, John Lantos raised uh, a whole bunch of ethical issues, uh, such as, uh, you know, why are you doing this? You, you, you don't need to do this. You don't need to undergo surgery. And, uh, and there are all other kinds of problems, ethical issues. And, and, and is it really right to take, uh, to, to, to jeopardize uh, somebody's life to do this surgery? A whole bunch of things. Can you talk about that and what you thought about those ethical issues? John was a really good counter voice for me during this process. When I first decided to do it, and um, as you know, Stuart and Merrill, and as, as the audience may know, there's no guarantee at all that any particular individual is going to match to right. someone else. For and sure. Mm -hmm. Even though I didn't know Deb before I donated my kidney, I read about her in the Kansas City Jewish Chronicle, and I decided to call to see if I could match for her. So I was sort of not volunteering to give Deb my kidney. I was volunteering to enter the lottery to see if I could give Deb my kidney. Once it turned out I was a perfect match, which is its own kind of miracle, then there were a whole lot of medical and logistic uh, things that had to occur. But when I found out I was a match and I started to tell people, people say the kind of obvious, very nice things like, oh my God, you're so wonderful. You're an angel. You're a living saint. They say things that make you feel very good. But my very dear friend, John Lantos, who's a bioethicist, both by training and by profession, said, what are you thinking, Martha? What are you doing? It was really? cold yeah. water. And I, I said, John, you know, you're supposed <laughs> to think I'm a good person. He said, you know, there's no requirement for you to risk your life to save somebody else's life. And have you thought about the surgeon that you're asking to do this thing to you, you, you this person who are healthy, who don't need this surgery? Um, he had a lot of thoughts about it from the medical perspective that, that doctors promised to do no harm and operating on a perfectly healthy person not in service to their health needs doesn't really qualify as do no harm. That was good for me to think about, but I came out on the other side. And I would like to say, I think in the end, I convinced John to come out on the other side too, which goes something like this. It's not really that dangerous to donate a kidney. It's a lot of work and you're kind of out of pocket for some weeks while you recover. But the odds of dying during donation surgery are infinitesimal. And in fact, the surgeon at the Mayo Clinic, who I saw um, weeks and weeks before the surgery for my workup, said they had never lost anyone on the table there who was donating. Um, and the odds of ending up with end-stage renal disease years later because you only have one kidney are also infinitesimally low. So we build it up in our heads like it's this big, dangerous thing, but it is much more dangerous to be a firefighter or a policeman or a member of the armed services, 
we, we ask people to do dangerous things all the time to save lives, to help and protect people. I, I watch on the news, um, the people who are helping with uh, Hurricane Ian in Florida, that's very dangerous work. You put your life at risk. What I did was hard and difficult and and I, I think was altruistic, but I never thought it was going to kill me. So um, you said that you you met um, your um, recipient um, before. Um, I, I'm just curious, and apparently you, you really hit it off with her. Would you have gone through with the transplant if you hadn't uh, liked her? when you met her, would you still have given her your kidney? So I, I guess I'm asking, did you specifically want to give the kidney to this person or did you just want to give a kidney um, to someone? It's a really important question. I was not out searching for someone to take my kidney. And for the people who are doing that, and there are some real saints who say, I have two healthy kidneys. I don't need them both. I'd like to give one to the pool. Um, there are many organizations. The National Kidney Registry um, is, is a big one. Uh, the Alliance for Paired Kidney Donation that will take your kidney and go find a match for you. Um, I didn't do that. I read this story in the newspaper and it spoke to me. Something about this woman's story, this story, this time in my life spoke to me. I didn't really think, what if I don't like her? But <laughs> after the fact, I did kind of think about it. I mean, I was very lucky. Deb and I met for lunch. Um, her boyfriend came too, which I think was good because it kind of cut the tension. And we loved each other. We had a million things in common. We knew people in common. We'd done work in common. We read books in common. We had political interests in common. We talked, 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 talked. We could have talked for three days. But that was just, I think, good luck. I don't know what it what I don't know what it would have felt like to me if after that lunch I had thought mm, I don't really like this person. I I consider it great good fortune that that um, that that didn't happen to me. Um, so because once yeah. you're a match, you know you're kind of in. You know you're kind of there. Well, well. So how would um, so since you liked her so much and hit it off with her how would you have felt if the transplant hadn't been successful? Or how do you think you would have felt? You don't know how you would have felt, but how no, do you think you would have felt? I think that's the, that is the fear of, um, of, of kidney donors. Um, you know, I, I, I was, I, I understood that I wasn't going to die doing this. I mean, I thought I would be in pain. I knew I would be inconvenienced. I was anxious. I mean, I was really nervous before the surgery, but I wasn't worried I would die. But I was worried all the time that something would happen to Deb. Um, she was very sick by the time we got to the transplant. We probably waited too long. Um, was the, she on dialysis? She wasn't. Uh, we were trying to get it done before she had to go on dialysis. Mm -hmm. But um, we actually went up to the Mayo Clinic um, a, a few weeks before the actual transplant for the first scheduled surgery. And they had to call it off um, that night when Deb checked into the hospital. She was too sick to be operated on. And wow. they called me and canceled the surgery. And I thought, oh, my, my God, she's going to die. This person whose life I was supposed to save, she's going to die. It, it was That was terrifying to me. Um, and, and I will say, even four years, four years down, um, Deb lives in Fort Lauderdale, and I live here in Kansas City, so we don't see each other all the time, but we're Facebook friends, we text. 
I'm always relieved when I see her looking so good on Facebook, when I see mm-hmm. her. Um, I, I'm always glad that there's, that there's another day. Well, she does look good. I, I looked at your Facebook page. <laughs> she does, she does look good. <laughs> Speaking of Facebook, you did, you knew her name, obviously from the article, but you didn't know how to contact her. So what did you do? You went to Facebook and, um, and sent her a message and she responded. I must tell you that my donor knew my Hebrew name and through Facebook, they were able to figure out who who I was. And then after the surgery, uh, Merrill posted that I had, had a kidney transplant. So they knew for sure that it was me. But you guys did something different. You actually had a running diet. You and your husband were telling the whole world who was a your whips or your 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 site there, whatever that was, uh, your your guide, every step of the way for, for weeks before, and then the yeah. day. Am I right? Yeah, and it's funny, Stuart, because like, you know, it seems to me that could have been you, the journalist, right? Like you, I'm a writer and a storyteller, so right. so I always want to tell everybody everything. Um, you know, Deb was very public about her need for a kidney. You know, the story was in the Kansas City Jewish Chronicle, so it's not like she was keeping it private. Um, but when I was identified as a, as a perfect match, I wanted to talk to her. This thing was going to require scheduling. It was out of town for me and out of town for her. And I knew we had to coordinate. And of course, the Mayo Clinic could not give me her contact information. We have HIPAA in this world. You know, hospitals can't divulge that kind of thing. Um, but as you found out too, Facebook is an incredible tool. Um, and when I looked up uh, Deb Porter Gill, there was really only one on Facebook and the photo matched the photo that had been in the Kansas City Jewish Chronicle. Uh, Deb told me later that when she got my message on Facebook, which basically said, hi, you don't know me, but I'm a perfect match for your kidney needs. She said she started to cry, that that she couldn't believe that there was really someone out there who was a match for her. Um, one in 100,000, I think is in the book, right? Yeah, it's, it is very rare. Now, Deb and I are both of Ashkenazi Jewish descent. You know, we probably had the same shtetl, you know, who knows what uh, communities way back when, maybe some, some um, interbreeding back in, the, back in the hood. But even so, um, and, and you don't have to be the same race or the same religion or the same color to donate to people. Uh, but in our case, it was true. But yeah, just... You know, just because you know somebody and want to save their life, the odds of you being a match if you're not a blood relative are really very low. So so what do you think about the fact that you are one of only 6% of altruistic donors who have come forward? So obviously it's not a popular thing to do. I'm always surprised how rare it is. And, you know, Stuart, you may experience this too. I mean, now, now, and of course I wrote about it as you have written about your experience, you know, people come up to me and say, my cousin donated a kidney or my great aunt donated a kidney. So you start to hear a little bit about it. Um, It's not that hard. And I do think if we didn't make it such a big deal and say you're a living saint, people might feel more comfortable I don't think that it's the the good deed, that it's the mitzvah that anybody's required to do, but certainly for people with family members with kidney disease, I think it would be nice if they 
could be a little calmer about the experience and, and their ability possibly to save a loved one's life if they wanted to. I think it would be nice if more people realized it's not as dramatic as it sounds. Well, did, well, did you you give very detailed, you must have taken a, a diary as you were going because you you put everything in this book about the experience you had, literally everything um, from the the laxatives you had to take and, and all <laughs> I mean, you, and, and having to do it twice. I know, oh, yeah. Why were you so explicit? Because it, you, after you read the book, you say, wow, do I want to go through what she did? Oh, that's an interesting response. I haven't really thought about that. Um, I, you know, I put the details in because I, it was only the second book I'd ever uh, written, and it was the only one I'd ever had published by by a, a professional publisher. And I kind of thought detail was what a book should have, that it would make the story real. Oh, it did. But also, um, <laughs> I really feel that the system could make it easier. And I wanted I wanted the people in the system, by that I mean, uh, the, the donor coordinators and the hospital administrators and the nephrologists and the transplant surgeons to, to experience it from my perspective, you know, to, to walk in my shoes and to think of all these tests we do, do we really need them all? I mean, I know we want to be sure it's safe for the donor, but how much of this are we doing that's important and real? And how much of it are we just doing because we've always done it? So part of my detail was my effort, I think, to make people who, who are in the system see what it's like to be a donor. May I just read something? When you wanted to, you called the Mayo Clinic and you assumed they would be thrilled that somebody had responded to Deb's plea for a, a kidney donor. And you thought uh, that uh, the, you could, you say, I pictured the nurse answering the phone, hearing my offer, covering the mouthpiece to whisper excitedly to those around her, someone's calling for Deb's alert, for Deb alert the lab. Instead, the receptionist perfunctorily answered the phone and with a little preamble referred me to the Mayo website to fill out a health a questionnaire. Um, yeah, they weren't too, um, have they changed their procedures? I've heard they've become a little more customer focused. I don't know that that was uh, so much my book as the pandemic, which I think caused them to do more by telemedicine and things like that. But there's this real tension in the medical system. And, and John, my co-author, help me understand this. I wanted them to treat this like a sales process. Um, I've been in the nonprofit world for a long time, and I, I shepherd uh, donors, steward donors through processes. I was in the for-profit world, and I helped uh, sell people things. And I had a sense of how you do lead management. From a medical perspective, they're really walking the line between getting a donor to save their patient's life, which is very important to them, but not convincing somebody to do this or pressuring somebody to do this. And I think they've fallen too short of the line. I don't think that customer service actually equates to pressure, but I think in an effort not to look like they're trying to convince people to give away an organ, they err on the side of being too bureaucratic and too impersonal. Um, a little warmth would help is sort of the way I would like to say it. So, so Stuart, um, you, we, <laughs> had a very positive experience, um, both with Renewal, the organization 
that found the donor for you and with the transplant team at Cornell Wild. Would you tell us a little bit about your journey? Oh, it uh, it went off rather smoothly once we actually had a donor. We Except that the first donor to... dropped out <laughs> three dropped days out. before. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. We're in the hospital, you know, going through all these tests. And then we heard uh, after they finally cleared me and went through a whole series of battery of tests, we said, okay, you're all set. And then we heard, well, but your donor dropped out. So we had to go home and, and wait another three months before we could uh, do it again when another donor came forward. That must have been very difficult. It was right over the, the, the initial donor said, we, I guess we heard about this back in November. He wanted right before, I think December 21st. So we figured, well, I guess he's not, he's not a Christian because he'd be celebrating Christmas. So we said, okay, sure, we'll, we'll do it, not a problem. And so uh, that's why it was so late in December. So we end, ended up going to the new year and, and the whole business. So yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was crazy. Very, very, dis it was very, um, very disappointing, but um, uh, renewal was amazing. And it, see, they, they really held our hands through the, through the entire thing. And um, the transplant team was also great, but there's a whole, transplant center at Cornell while is there one at Mayo Clinic? Oh yeah. Be. In fact, um Mayo Rochester does more living kidney transplants than any clinic in the world. Um and I think maybe maybe that's one of the things I fell into, which is it's a machine. I mean I don't I don't mean an impersonal machine, but <laughs> but they're managing a lot of numbers. And I kind of was acting like I was the only person in the world who'd ever called to donate a kidney. That's how it felt, you know, to me. It felt like a very big deal. Um, one of the things, uh, hearing a little bit about your story, and of course, Stuart, I've, re I've read the things you've written about your story as well, that have always um, struck me as fairly stark. Uh, there are many ways to donate an organ, and there are many ways to receive an organ. And of course, there are also pairs and chains, the more complicated ways that someone gives to someone who gives to someone who gives to someone to circle back to your mm -hmm. loved one. And each of them has their own protocols and their own requirements and their own standards and their own qualifications. We don't have a national best practice protocol for living kidney donation. And so where you end up donating or where you end up receiving or which organization you end up working with, like Renewal, really alters your experience. And if I were going to advocate for a couple of things around this system, one of the things I would advocate for is more standardization. It doesn't seem to me that the quality of your experience should differ so radically based on how you enter the system called give away a kidney or get a kidney. Yes. yes. Yeah. And Stuart, um, do you want to talk about, um, as I mentioned, our um altruistic donor who we do consider to be an angel um chooses you know she does not want to go um public but we we had the um renewal arranged for us um to to meet her and her family at their headquarters um in the middle of june and then we um recently um got together uh she invited us um 
to her home. You, do you want to tell us about that, Stuart, a little bit, what that was like? Yeah, I mean, it was great to uh, meet her uh, first, and then we got a chance to uh, meet her, of course, the kids, and then uh, her sister and her parents. And, uh, and as she said, as we were leaving, uh, we're like a family now. And I, I really do think that uh, you do uh, have a bond there. And the fact is, I was, I was getting up. This was uh, out of the chair that I was sitting in. I kind of stumbled a little bit, and she yelled out, don't fall on my kidney. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so it's, yeah. you know, and, and her, her husband is lovely. I mean, the family is just really a very um, lovely, lovely family. Uh, family. So, um, Martha, um, you know, the odds of a non-relative donor being a match is uh, one in a hundred thousand. So who should consider being a kidney donor besides um, family members? Well, there are many other ways these um, arrangements are made these days. And I have to tell you, these are not things I learned as a kidney donor. These are things I learned as somebody writing a book about kidney donation. So uh -huh in part because of John and the things he knew and then all the research that I did and then all the people who have talked to me afterwards. But for example, let's say you wanted to save the life of your best friend or somebody in your family to whom you are not biologically related, right? Somebody who comes into your family by marriage, even your own spouse or a family member who you are related to by blood, but you don't happen to be a match for this purpose. There are now these very sophisticated pairs and chains where I could give my kidney into the pool and that would give my husband or my cousin or my best friend a voucher, which would allow her or him to get the next available matching kidney from that pool. So a whole lot of these things are happening now, which basically mean that anybody who's healthy and who can afford the time off work and isn't caring for small children or, or older parents or things like that, anybody for whom this is a possibility, there is probably a way to get a kidney for a loved one through these interesting matching scenarios. I didn't know anything about that. Um, I was trying to save the life of this one person I read about in the newspaper whose story was very meaningful to me. There was a point somewhere in the process um, where there was some concern about some blood test results down the road that maybe Deb and I weren't as good a match as everyone had thought. And they did ask if we would participate in a chain, mm -hmm. if we could do that to get her a better match. And she and I both said yes right away. In some ways, I thought, you know, to save one person's life is great, but if they tell you you can save three people's lives, that's even better. Uh, but but our chain fell apart, uh, maybe, maybe somewhat like your first story. And in the end, my directed donation to Deb turned out to be the very best thing for her. It was certainly the easiest um, thing for me. So anybody who's healthy could become a kidney donor. You are screened very well. There's no way they're going to let you do this if you don't have super de duper kidney function, good heart, good lungs, no cancer, and a whole bunch of other things. Um, there are a lot of protections built into the system. So anybody to whom this is an important thing to do could probably do it. I will say, this is counterintuitive, it's probably better to be a little older. I was a little worried I was too old. I was 60. It turns out being 60 is a very good age to donate a kidney. 
because we have data that says for 20, 25 years, I should be fine with only one kidney. I'll be a very old person by then. Mm. A donor who is, let's say, 20 or 30, we don't necessarily have 50-year data. So I guess I would say this is a little bit better for older people. People in their 50s and 60s make very good kidney donors. That, that is, that, that's fascinating. That's a fascinating insight. Um, so what advice do you have for people who are considering donating kidneys? Why should they donate a kidney? I, and let me just ask also, did you, you said you don't see yourself as an angel, but do you get any, did you get any psychological benefits from being an altruistic donor? I found it deeply satisfying, deeply meaningful. Um, I, I felt good about it. And there are other things in my life I've done that I felt good about too, but I felt really good about this. Um, I think there are lots of other ways to feel that good. There are many other extraordinary things people do. People uh, adopt children out of the foster care system. Um, that's an extraordinary lifetime commitment. Uh, they they um, care in their homes for aging relatives under great difficult circumstances. There are many kinds of things to do. This happened to be the one uh, that I did. I think the people who do this should be the people for whom this this rings true, that, that there's a call, either because they're trying to save the life of someone quite specific, uh, a family member, um, a beloved teacher, their best friend. Um, what I'd like is for those people to not face barriers and not be afraid. And then for other people, if this is the good deed that calls, calls to you, chase it. And if it's not the right one for you, and if it's not safe, they will tell you. Were, were you ever worried that a family member would need a kidney someday and you had already given away your spare? That's a great question. I did think about it, mostly because people kept asking me the question. And again, because I'm 60, I probably only had another five, eight years during which to donate a kidney. There's no history of kidney disease in, in my family. My cousin uh, who had chronic kidney disease is not a biological relative. So mm -hmm. I had no reason to think that my children were going to need a kidney anytime soon, certainly not in the five or eight years that my kidney was going to be valuable. My husband didn't have kidney disease. There was no reason to think that anyone in my family was going to need it. What I've learned now, of course, is that there are these voucher programs and these trade-in programs. There were probably some ways to protect my future family members um, if I had chosen to donate in those specific ways. But the odds of somebody close to me needing a kidney are, the odds of that happening to any specific person are really, really quite low. To me, that felt a little bit like never giving money to charity because my kids might need it someday. <laughs> uh, Stuart, is there anything you want to add or ask? Well, I, I just think that um, it's such a great thing. I, I wish, really wish there were more people who were as altruistic as you are. And um, because there are so many people out there in need of a kidney. It's just um, the numbers are staggering and and more people, uh, I forget the numbers, but people die every day because of kidney failure. So it really is a, a, a major, major concern in the United States and I guess worldwide. Okay, well, we're, we're going, um, we're gonna wrap up now, um, Martha, who, who do you think your audience is for this book? Well, my hope was that it would be all the people running transplant centers all over the world who would immediately change their protocols based on my recommendations. 
but that was probably <laughs> a little optimistic. Um, what I found is that it's been extremely meaningful to people who have kidney disease, who know someone with kidney disease, who have thought about being a donor to learn more about what this is specifically like. And my hope is that what they will take from my book is that while there's some logistic hassles and there's, there's some ways that this is more inconvenient than I think the system should be, there's also great meaning and inspiration and love and power in the story. And I hope that they, that they take that to heart and it makes them feel confident in pursuing the path that's right for them. Great. Um, so is there uh, another book in you or another project you'd like to tell us about? There's nothing specific. I will tell you, I am starting to think that I want to write about the baby formula shortage in this country because mm -hmm. um, I, I have new twin grandsons in my Ooh, life. Thank wow. you. It's a wonderful thing. Um, they were born premature and they needed formula to supplement a mom's breast milk. And so I joined the hunt with the rest of the world for specialty baby formula. And again, with my business background, I think it's a Shonda that our country got itself into that situation. So I, so I think about writing about that, but, you know, thinking about writing and writing aren't the same thing as both of you know. <laughs> so um, would you like to tell our listeners where, where they can uh, find you online and where they can find your book? Absolutely. So I'm on Twitter at at mgershon. I have a website, marthagershon.com, which has links to all of my podcasts and the things that I have written. And you can purchase my book anywhere that books are sold online or in bookstores. And it is in Kindle, hardcover and audiobook. Okay, great. Uh, anything else you would like to add or that's it? No, but thank you so much. It's been lovely to talk to you. And Stuart, of course, always to meet someone who's on the other end of one of these um dare I say, transactions. It just, it brings a lot of meaning. So thanks so much. Thank Great. you. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Martha Gershon. The book is Kidney to Share. I also want to thank my husband, Stuart Ain, for being here. And many thanks to our executive producer, Pam Stack. People of the Book is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Please visit us and like our Facebook page, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain. For more information about my books and writing, visit me at merylain.com. Until next time, please join us on Facebook at Jews Love to Read and read a good book. <laughs>